Welcome everyone to Flyover Footy on the Big 550 KTRS. I was looking for a title for today's show. Uh, I got nothing, guys. We're initializing preseason is what I went with, and we are. We're about to start preseason. I think we had our first preseason match uh, the other day going on in Florida, if not today. No? Uh, I thought I saw that one already happened, so maybe I'm wrong on that. The one shaking his head at me in disappointment, as usual, when I get facts wrong, we got Matt Baker. How's it going, man? I would never shake my head at disappointment, though our first preseason match, it would be completely understandable to to get things confused. The club actually had to change things up. I'm doing great. I'm excited to watch the first or watch updates on the first preseason match that St. Louis City has against Nashville Friday, January 26th. A kind of a rescheduled start to our preseason as last weekend we had a scrimmage intra squad down in Florida. This oh, weekend, that's what we I get, meant. That's what I yeah. meant. I was going to say it was an intra squad, right? The intra squad, yeah. This weekend we get Nashville, and then the Columbus game that was originally scheduled for this weekend is canceled because Columbus started preseason late. Something about winning MLS Cup, getting an extra couple weeks off. I don't know. We'll find out what that's like. Hopefully this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but at least things are going and we're getting, you know, I think my favorite thing right now is the uh, pictures and videos that we're getting of the guys w- working hard. Clearly, you know, the pace of MLS kind of stands out when you get these close ups from people probably like our buddy Jake out down there taking videos with his uh, with his iPhone um, up close. You know, oh, yeah. AZ coming back. Really good vibes coming from from the summer down there or the sorry, spring training down there and um, winter training. Gosh. I'm all over the place tonight. Spring training, preseason, training camp, whatever you want to call it. Florida, soccer, Behind baseball. closed doors, everything. <laughs> um, let's get started, though. Let's jump into uh, what we touched on a lot last week. And really, we've been talking about nothing but this, the Nico Joachini, jo- Nico Joachini transfer to Como. And uh, this is just massive. We've got plenty more to talk about here because it was finally announced as official on Wednesday, the 24th. That was yesterday. It feels like forever ago, but now it's finally official. We got the intro videos from Como, a lot of good stuff from Como. Matt, I'll let you take it from here. Yeah, this this was building for a little while. I think there was a a good 10-day window where the rumors started really heating up. We saw Nico Joachini actually in camp for a few days for St. Louis when the rumors first started. There was the back and forth, public-ish back and forth, where you had dueling reports between uh, Fabrizio Romano, Manuel Veth, people trying to confirm things without things being confirmed. You were getting obvious agent reports. But at the end of the day, yeah, Wednesday, January 24th, things became official. St. Louis City SC agreed to terms to transfer forward Nico Joachini to Como 1907 FC, an Italian Serie B, a current Italian Serie B squad, TBD Mm -hmm. on where they'll end up later this year. Um, But the undisclosed transfer fee, heavily rumored and reported to be around $2 million. Manuel Veth actually said upwards of 2 million euros. So I think 2 million is a good round number for us to use with add-ons that could go all the way up to 4 million. And this is huge for me. So there's there's a lot of things that I loved about what you and Santi said last week on the impacts this has for Nico, his U.S. national team hopes. I like what what Como is receiving in reinforcement in the striker position as they make their obvious push for promotion. The top two clubs in Serie B earn an automatic promotion with a playoff occurring for that third spot. Como currently sits second at, uh, right behind Parma, so they're in a good shape as Nico joins them. One of the really interesting things that I thought as it relates to City that I added in our YouTube short this week 
is the way that this perception helps City in what Lutz's comments were in the article, the press release, saying it's always difficult to see one of our top performing players move on. We understand the attractiveness of joining European football and will be immensely proud to cheer Nico on as he fights pr- for promotion. This in and of itself is a sales tactic that can be used <laughs> for future budding stars, your U22s, your young DPs, your players looking to make their name in Europe, knowing that you can go to St. Louis, you can have success where you might not have had success before, they can make something of you, and then they won't stand in your way as you look to go on to uh, a top five league in Europe ambitions. And then the add-ons. This is the big thing that I think St. Louis City fans have to take notice of. Add-ons in transfers, they have a, a myriad of things they could include from appearances, starts, goals, contributions, trophies that the the receiving club were to win. But when I see an add-on up to 2 million, the big thing in this specific circumstance that jumps out of me is promotion. We need to be cheering Como on to promotion, if nothing else, then so City can have potentially a million or two more in the coffers. And that's enough reason by itself, even if you're not a huge Nico Joachini fan, to say I'm all in on Como. Absolutely. Yeah. And and I think I love what you were touching on with the uh, the big advertisement for joining a club like St. Louis City. Uh, you know, there a, a show doesn't exist where I don't regret missing something in a show. And I think that's something Santi and I really messed up not hitting hard enough is that, you know, this is it's a big advertisement for players to come to City. We're not going to hold you back. If anything, we're going to find a nice landing spot for you wherever the heck you want to go, because Lutz has that access And, um, you know, just in the news recently, you know, we see Robinson going to FC Cincinnati from Atlanta United um, to to go there. Rather, it's a nice short contract, you know, one year with an option. Atlanta held back Robinson uh, more than once um, going to Europe. We're looking at uh, Jesus Ferreira down in Dallas just got denied a transfer to Spartak Moscow. That um, There's a lot behind that. There is. I mean, hey, I'm not going to comment on whether he should or should not go there. But I will say that Dallas is the one that stood in the way that Jesus was open to going there. And maybe there's rumors that maybe he did want to go there. Um, And so St. Louis is not a club like that. You come here, you have an opportunity to leave. That's fine. And we're going to talk about why that's fine. I think going forward and Lutz is a big uh, hinge, a linchpin to why that's okay. Yeah, and the the opportunity for a Nico Joachini replacement is is vast, especially with Lutz, with his his contacts, his his Rolodex that exists, and and who he's been shown to be able to bring in from all across the world, different portions of the world. Um, one thing that I do want to say before moving on is in the chat, there's a couple of nice comments from Elliot Meyer. First of all, about that Como streams all their games for free. So if oh you're talking gosh. about not just cheering on Como because of Nico or wanting you know them to be promoted for additional money to City, you can go to Como's website and they have all their games streaming for free on there, which is amazing for a Serie B club. And I think we're all getting ready to book our vacationing plans to Como and, and that beautiful uh, little alcove or cove that their stadium is in. So I'll, I'll enjoy watching them on Saturday Are you going to say the Joe Miller that. comment? The Joe yes. Miller comment's the best. <laughs> Seeing the Como Stadium picks, we're all having Como FOMO. Yes, Como we are. Como FOMO. Como FOMO. <laughs> and yeah, like, yeah, streaming. I was 
unbelievably so many happy curse words flowed out of my mouth when I saw that Twitter post that they stream all of their games. That's something MLS can't even do in preseason. And they're over here streaming for us all on their own website, Serie B uh, uh, games. I'm, I'm so freaking happy we're going to get to see Nico play. It, it's clearly exciting. And you can see him speaking Italian to the fans on some of their videos yes, I mean, and with, with an Italian father and having played there for four years between the ages of eight and 12. I mean, this is this is such a great move for him and an, and an awesome opportunity to earn a, a spot in the top five league and to really claw his way back into that national team landscape, ideally. But, you know, looking at, at what City does from here. Our depth chart at striker is a little thin now with four competitions on the horizon, three, potentially three competitions being played concurrently up until the month of April or May, June, if we make it that far in CONCACAF Champions Cup. But having Klaus, Sam Adeneron, and Caden Glover as our as our legit out-and-out strikers, that that is a little thin. And I think that's why we're going to touch on it in a minute the, the striker rumors have already started cropping up and serious rumors too. We're talking deals being made and agreed upon except for a transfer fee saying we're willing to give the player for the right cost and City making an actual offer for players. Manuel Veth reporting that there were six strikers being looked at. Lutz is wasting no time. But I go back and forth on, on the whole how urgently do we need a replacement striker. And there's a lot of things that go into that. First thing that goes into that is the primary transfer window of MLS. It's different. And I, I think I, I, I don't, I don't know if I was specific enough in my YouTube video of what the primary transfer window can do. It, it is primarily for trades. I'll stand by that in that a lot of MLS trades happen during that time, but a transfer window in and of itself is just the timeline that you can register a new player, a new transfer incoming to your country, to your league. MLS's primary transfer window runs January 31st to April 23rd. There are, can be, and will be signings from abroad that will happen in this time period. So when we talk about the January transfer window, don't put too much stock necessarily in if we don't have a striker signed by January 31st, it's not happening. Quite the opposite, I would would argue, in that they might not help us in CONCACAF Champions Cup, these first two legs at least, but they may be somebody who can come in and have a have a say for U.S. Open Cup come April, and that's just saying that we can we can sign a player and we can register their ITC in America with MLS between January 31st and April 23rd. It's a big window that kind of bridges a gap, so to speak, between that and the secondary transfer window that opens in mid July. It kind of plays by international uh, timelines, but not really. So we we kind of have a significant runway of time to bring in one of these remaining five strikers that Manuel Veth says we're interested in. Silly question here, and I'm sorry if you don't know the answer. I don't like to do this to you cold like this, but you probably know it because you're Matt Baker. Does Are they allowed to leave a European club outside the transfer window? Because so yeah. let's say we sign them after January 31st. It's only incoming that the yes. transfer window has effect on in Europe. Okay, right. that's news to me. Correct. And you can go back to MLS's transfer tracker to verify this because Mm -hmm. they have that transfer tracker on their website. And you could go back pages and pages ago. I think I went back to the 14th page, which got started into around February to April of 23. And you can see players coming in from Germany, from Mexico, from England in that time period between January 31st and April. It hasn't always been this exact time frame. But it's it's somewhere around right before the season starts and a month or two into the season. That's 
that's the basic time frame. But it, it has happened. It will happen. And so we may sign, and this might throw City fans for a loop because they're thinking January transfer window, that February and March could be just as easily we bring in a player. It's all about their incoming uh, country of origin. That's the transfer. Because you are gonna you could look on TransferMark right now, and you could see mm. transfer windows for all these countries. And it all means incoming to that country. Good clarification for someone like me. That's good stuff. Um, Andrew Felder corrected me. I forgot. Jesus Ferreira wasn't shut down by Dallas. MLS proper oh, yeah. shut that down. We're not going to talk about that tonight. I'm sure we'll have another chance to talk about that. That's a wild one. Uh, that's a really wild one uh, that we'll talk about next time it happens because it will happen again. Um, but yeah, the, this one with uh, Tucker didn't work out. Did we talk enough about this to talk about how you know he's got a contract up at the end of in six more months at the end of the of uh, the next when yeah. the, by the time the next transfer uh, season comes up. Um, and so this could still happen. I think Manuel Vez said for now, this is over. Right. Um, I, so, you know, there's a lot that could still come. There's still more strikers available. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, go ahead, Matt. Tell he's he's obviously on. still on our radar. I mean, that's the yeah. takeaway here. Cedric Tukert, you probably haven't heard the last of him, at least in interest from St. Louis. But the fact that we weren't able to work out a deal where uh, reports that Hanover valued his transfer at 600,000 pounds, that puts him in uh 800k just under 800k in a transfer fee uh us dollars i believe if i had that trans if i had that conversion correctly but because hanover wanted such a significant fee we heard reports that lutz had offered around 500,000 as a transfer fee which puts would put his valuation directly in line with what lutz paid reportedly for guys like tomas totland and nicholas dewer so he clearly has a penchant for this 500,000 range on um, signing new players. It also would have would have probably been in line with uh, Nico Joachini type thing where you obviously Gam probably would have been used in this case, but Nico Joachini was making just under 400,000 for St. Louis City. So you look at salary plus transfer fee and available Gam that we had. And, and that is the uh, one other note that I do want to make on Nico Joachini is that there's there's factors in play on what we have available to replace him not just his salary of 400,000 in a, a we understand Lutz doesn't want to go too far beyond that kind of a range he's not looking to sign a DP as a replacement for Nico Joachini for instance that was reported by Manuel Veth but the the amount of transfer money that we had for Nico not all of it can go directly into the budget for the club the way this happens is there can be a set amount that you can convert from the transfer fee to GAM. It's right now 1.157 million. So one point up to 1.157 million of the $2 million transfer fee can be converted into GAM, which makes it directly applicable to our roster. And that's the increase in what we can spend on our roster just based on this transfer. It's not two, it's not four, it's 1.157. And that's where I think. I, I don't know where it is in the show notes, but I'm going to mention it now. The the year-over-year salary that St. Louis is paying, the, the roster spend, is going to start rising. It, it will inherently. Because when a team first starts play in MLS, they are basically scraping the barrel on what they have to spend with GAM. The reason GAM is so valuable is that you can acquire it through a bunch of different means, and that's the mechanism for you to go above and beyond this hard salary cap or the soft salary cap rather of whatever it is now. I don't have the number in front of me, five or 6 million. And the more GAM you've acquired, the more on top of that you can spend. 
the league gives out set amounts of GAM every single year. As an expansion side, we got a little bit more. We got about a million more of GAM to start as kind of a way to get us going. But this deal in particular is how we're going to be able to spend more on our roster. The more outgoing transfers we have for this type of a dollar amount or in the hundreds of thousands or the million to two amount, the more we do of that, the more we can convert the transfer fee into GAM, the more we can reinvest in the actual roster spend. That's that's the, the linchpin of how St. Louis is going to be able to spend more on the roster within the, the rules of MLS and without splashing cash on a DP. Yeah, it's almost like a bit of a cheat, kind of like we talked about in the past with U22s, with some of those roster slots with homegrowns. Only a certain amount is hitting that cap, whereas the rest is just pure value, it sounds like. Is that kind of the idea there? Yeah, basically. And and it's, you know, it, it, in a perfect world, we would go the way of NWSL, who is phasing out allocation money over the next couple of years. Great shout. Yes. Look and into that, everyone. Huge kudos to NWSL. Google NWSL allocation money because you'll get articles and news stories of their plan to ramp down from it. Yeah. And they're correspondingly increasing the actual salary cap, which just provides so much more flexibility to all teams. That's the kind of move you want to see MLS do. But at least until 2027 or so, when the CBA goes till, we're not going to see that with MLS. And so we have to play by these rules of finding ways to increase the GAM we have in the bank so that we can pay pay players, but it doesn't count against the actual salary cap. We, we did a show last year, I think it was November 2022, called MLS 201. So shameless plug for a previous episode to check that out. And of course... You know, it was only a matter of time. Tom Bogert on his YouTube channel did one as well just recently for those nuances. So if you're if you're feeling nutty and feel like getting into MLS roster rules and why mm-hmm. GAM exists and how we can take advantage of all that jazz, you know, we've got a show and it's it's something that I don't mind spending time on because I'm a nerd like that. Well, and it's good for us to hear over and over. I said this about the the MLS 201 episode that you could probably listen to it 10 times and still learn something. There's just like packed full of data. Um, and when we're listening instead of reading, it's just, you know, it, you, you catch something new every time. Uh, last thing, first of all, I want to say, if you're joining us on the radio, we are Flyover Footy. You're listening on the big 550 KTRS. Thank you so much for uh, listening to us here as we talk about Nico Joachini and the, the massive transfer that happened from him to Italian uh, soccer team Como 1907 FC. And uh, it's just a massive historic uh, transfer and something that's not massively common in MLS. So this is something that's special, not just for our club, but for MLS in general and for the U.S. national team, if you're into that kind of thing. And I certainly am. Lastly, uh, let's talk about, you know, I, I just want to touch shortly. You didn't get to give your opinion and I asked you in DMs and I want to hear you give it now. And I'll, I'll shortly give mine that, you know, do we get a striker now? Do we need to get a striker now? Do we want to get a striker now? These are the questions I have for you, Matt. And and I'm kind of claiming, as I did last time, that I think Lutz has this shortlist that if it works out for, let's say, these six strikers that have been mentioned by Manuel Vate, uh, that if one of those six says yes and works in all these other um, areas as far as price, contract, all these variables work perfectly for Lutz to bring someone in now. I think he does it. And if those things don't work within our 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 means, then it's not going to happen right now. I love how, Matt, you said something like, Lutz isn't going to force something just to fill a gap right this second. He's always looking to the future. Nukvi Thorson, I keep hearing his name come up. 
and he barely played last year. And it just feels like everyone was ready for him to hit the ground running this yeah. season. So that's just a good example. But Matt, what do you think now? Like get one now, no matter what middle ground, uh, wait, where are you on this spectrum? Oh, I'm firmly in the, in the wait. If that's the spectrum, I don't Ooh. think we need to desperately go out and get a player right now. I will say, and, and this is what I said in our DMS that yeah. there the two words are really overriding that'll make or break our need to acquire somebody in this primary transfer window for MLS, Rasmus Alb. Those are my two words. And the reason is I mentioned we have Klaus, Sam Adenaran, and Caden Glover as our out and out strikers. We also have Nuke B. Thorson, who is a forward. When he was brought on, he was brought on as highlights, as historical from the left side. He's a left wing, uh, second striker up top. Bradley Carnell said very clearly he could play all three forward positions. He can play across the board. We actually saw him play limited minutes, very limited, on the right side last year in the second half of one of the games. So he can do it. Um, but Rasmus Alm was also a second striker in, in a few instances, a few appearances last year. And he provides a lot of a lot of what we need in our attacking right side. In the press, in his playmaking abilities, he's a facilitator, his passing, he's crisp all across the board but he's recovering from surgery and he's not going to be ready to start the season that's what we've been told so with Rasmus Alm not able to start the season his his timeline is really going to drive how comfortable I am if we don't bring in a player obviously I would be much more comfortable if we did I think Lutz identifying a player getting him for the right cost signing him and and being able to plug and play as early as possible is option a but we've seen with Cedric Tukert, that if the price isn't right, he's not going to reach. And that's important to note. He's not going to reach in this transfer window for a player because he probably believes, like I do, that you have Nuke V. Thorson who could step in up there. Nuke V. Thorson was signed for this year and beyond. He was he was not signed to be a massive difference maker last year. Lutz and Bradley both said as much. So having Thorson as a kind of cover for your second striker, in addition to Sam, Klaus, and Caden, you wonder what kind of a leap you're going to see from Caden Glover, first of all, because we know Klaus and Sam can hold it down. We don't know if we're going to be running a 4-2-3-1 or 4-4-2 more often, so that depth could come into play, but this is Caden Glover's opportunity. And he's only 16 years old, so it's not saying it's make or break by any means. Quite the opposite. This is his introduction to significant minutes. So we don't know really what we're going to see from Caden at the MLS level with consistent playing time and more minutes in a consistent opportunity probably in the second half of most games. But that's just, that's two unproven in MLS players who you're relying on as potential depth behind your top two strikers. That's a lot of ifs to go into the season with, knowing that you have at least four matches in two weeks to start the season. If you move on in mm -hmm. CONCACAF Champions Cup, then you're just multiplying that. You have eight matches in four weeks, and then you start U.S. Open Cup. That's a lot of matches for a Rasmus Almless team to go into. And, and I don't mean to put everything on him, but man, does he add to that flexibility that we could have. And it's a downstream effect, because if you have Rasmus Alm able to provide cover up front as a forward, second striker, then you're bringing in some of that midfield depth that you want to see shine. You're bringing in Tomas Ostrak for more minutes, Celio Pompeu for more minutes, Indy Vasilev, you're still having AZ, you're still having, you know, Edu Leuven able to take a step up. So it's a downstream effect of if Rasmus Alm's in there, what he can cover. If he's not in there, then... 
the likelihood of a 4-4-2, I, I really don't know because the depth isn't there with experience. I mean, you're going to toss Caden Glover into the, a Miggy Perez role from last year is, is essentially what you're looking to do if you run that kind of an offense with the current roster. Yeah, a lot of good comments coming in here. Andy uh, Andrew Felder says Cilio needs in the kitchen. He got a shout at the striker role, just like Matt, you had mm-hmm. brought up before, as had Santiago. Tim Parker's bucket, bucket hat said, I think if we stuck with our current guys, given Glover time, and get somebody in the summer, he's fine with that, it sounds like. Um, someone who's not getting enough talk here, that I was going to say this too, Elliot Meyer says, McSorley more likely to be signed if we don't bring someone else in. He's asking, I guess, actually not signed necessarily, but he's there. And if he shines, he could get more time than Glover. It could happen. You know, these guys coming from college are more like veteran senior type players, even if the talent level is is definitely different and maybe more random, I would say, um, in in how much they they stick out. Look at what happened with that that striker at uh I forgot his name, but uh, at Orlando City, I don't think anyone saw him being as as good as he ended up being. Um, he just played. Oh, Duncan McGuire. Camp. Thank you. Yeah. Um. Also, hashtag uh, save Jacqueline. I have to stick that in at every opportunity I can. Um, we need to move on here. Um, but you know, I I, I just want to say that it, I might have been more just like you, Matt. You kind of touched on it. I might have been more fine with just rolling with who we have, no matter what, unless we found the perfect guy. But that CONCACAF Champions Cup, I mean, we have so many competitions right now. And so, yeah, I'm with you. You wonder, though, and I'll just throw this out. um, The short-term loan exists still uh, from affiliates. And the way that works is you can loan a player up. A player who's not on a city contract, a player who's on a City 2 contract, can be loaned up up to four times a season, but he can only make two appearances in league matches. So you don't want to burn players too early but at the same time, you wonder how quick Bradley Carnell might be pulling that trigger. Or Lutz yeah. might be saying, let's give, I mean, that example. So McSorley, the, the reason I bring this up is McSorley. So first of all, he's a third round draft pick. So his being signed directly to City would be almost unparalleled over the past few years. But he, I mean, that kind of a player could be an option if he impresses in camp because he's in camp with the big boys right now. If he impresses in camp, that could be an option. Sign him to City 2, bring him in for a match early. You have open roster slots. If you sign him to City 2 now, you could offer him a contract at any point in the season. That That's fine. There's flexibility there. Mm-hmm. So I, I wonder if we're talking depth and what we're going to be doing in matches, especially CONCACAF Champions Cup and definitely U.S. Open Cup, I wonder how much we're going to leverage some of this other depth that we have access to. Absolutely. The more the better, in my opinion. And... I think you guys probably at this point know that I'm, I'm mad at MLS for not letting us have more loan ups from city to uh, open it up guys. If they want us to get more games in, you got to open up the roster so we can use our depth, um, our full, full depth as much as possible. Speaking of depth, um, we're, we're losing a little bit of personnel depth here with this move, but I think we're all pretty positive about it for the most part, especially here at flyover footy. Miguel Perez gets the season-long loan to Birmingham Legion with an option to recall throughout the entire season, uh, which is a very nice option. Matt, would you like to kind of lead us a little bit more forward with some of these details? This one is, I think, the writing was a little bit on the wall. Miggy had, Miggy's been kind of a polarizing figure, to be honest. Uh, He obviously had the exciting moment last year against Vancouver with his first goal 
with uh, right after his high school graduation. I mean, that was just probably the loudest City Park has ever been, and and maybe for a bit. But his injury de- later in the season, he didn't he didn't really come back. He was kind of shut down, given time to recoup and and rest. He was obviously with City. We saw him in the EMLS uh, video that they put out up until recently, and so this. This is one of those deals that makes sense for both parties. It's like an Isak Jensen deal where you can see that there's clear talent there. There is length on the contract. He's going to come back and he's going to have a long, healthy career with St. Louis City. But in the meantime, with Edu Leuven, with Jabulu Blom, with Chris Durkin, with Indy Vasilev able to play the midfield, there is an abundance of wealth. And so what we understand over in Birmingham is that there is an opportunity for him to step in and they... uh, appear to have a real need at that center defensive mid center mid according to Kaylor Hodges you know your friend from the USL show who covers them well he's saying that the team and I'll let you talk about Matthew Corcoran here but with Mikey Lopez they have an opportunity to slide in what I'm seeing is Mikey Lopez at right back Miggy has a chance to start at center mid potentially a 4-2-3-1 like there's a lot to like about what options are there from Birmingham and so more playing time for Miggy I'm all about it Yeah, and it's really cool because, first of all, Birmingham Legion is a quality club. They have a good coach, and the coach is willing to play young players. Matthew Corcoran is a 17-year-old – no, 16, 17. He's 17-year-old, but he's a U-17 national team player who played in this last World Cup quite a bit at the sixth role. And, um, yes, the scary thing is, yes, that's the same role as Miguel Perez, but – the fact that the coach is willing to play those players, um, something I heard from Kaylor Hodges is that he plays them and gives them their chance. But the second they start, um, you know, wavering, having too many games that are bad in a row, he will pull them. And so that's good and bad, right? Like Miguel's going to get a good test. Something that we hear about the uh, USL championship is that it is a professional environment. You're up against veterans who this is also it's their paycheck, right? We got guys like Mikey Lopez. Enzo Martinez is a USL legend. He got some time with Colorado Rapids. He's a quality player. And, um, you know, he plays sometimes he played deeper in the field at the six and eight role last year, which is new to me because I know him as more of a playmaker as a winger or a a number 10. Who knows where these guys are going to play? Matt, you mentioned that Mikey Lopez might play right back, but he can also play in central midfield. So we, Birmingham has a lot of people they can play with here, and it's going to be a test of whoever's best at any given moment. Miguel is going to get a lot of experience on what it means to be a professional this year. And I don't think these guys are going to throw him under the bus and, you know, do that whole thing where they like injure him. No, these guys are happy to bring along someone like Matthew Corcoran. And I think they'll welcome um, Miguel with open arms, show him the ropes, teach him how to be a good pro. And hopefully we get a Sam Adineron situation where he gains a lot of experience, gets his confidence, gets his feet under him in a tough environment, a professional environment and comes back better than ever. And I think that is quite possible, if not likely. Um, I'm just so happy that it went so well for Sam last year. And I really do think this is a perfect landing spot for Miguel. And I look forward to watching him in preseason as we're going to get some streams here with uh, Atlanta United playing Birmingham Legion. And about um, that, yeah, so it, this is a really exciting move for me. I know some people are uneasy, but I'm just here to try to help you guys. Guys, I come from the USL show. I'm obsessed with the USL. I think they don't get as much uh, respect that they uh, deserve. 
And I'm happy that Miguel's landing here. And I think everyone should be. Yeah, Miguel Perez, uh, one of those under contract long term. So we don't have to worry about where he's going to land after this. This gets him some experience with an option to recall throughout the season. That's yes. the big thing. Just and like he will Sam, be, right? Like he will yeah. be probably. <laughs> I would be shocked if he ended the season uh, with Birmingham still. I mean, we saw how injuries just borderline decimated St. Louis for periods of time last year yeah. from illnesses to outright injuries, even national team call ups like. The Olympics are coming up this summer, guys, and we have two potential players on our roster who may be gone for significant periods of time. Where do those two players play? The midfield, the attacking midfield, but they're midfielders nonetheless, Indy Vasilev and AZ Jackson. It's a potential. You don't know how the year's going to go, so there's a lot of things that could change. Option recall is huge. And like Phil said, I'm excited to watch Miggy Perez for Birmingham. If he gets in this first game, which is Saturday, January 27th against Atlanta United on all of Atlanta United's socials, they've got it on Facebook, X, YouTube. Tune in. I'm going to look forward to seeing him. I hope we get to watch him. And if not, if we don't get to see him in preseason, Birmingham Birmingham's regular season starts March 9th at Phoenix. It's a 9.30 p.m. game. I can't wait to follow Miggy. It's just another club for us to follow and yeah. cheer on one of our, one of our loanies. Last thing, I think the only negative thing that I was like, I see why people are saying this. Like they said, you know, is this is our youth system failing, right? Because Miguel's going on loan. Absolutely not. I would say this mm. is proof that it's working, that someone USL wants him and is willing to take him from our system after mm -hmm. some MLS minutes last year, a lot of MLS minutes for a guy his age, honestly. Um, but you look at, I don't think any of us would look at what Sam Adinaran did last year as a failure. And he's in his twenties. I mean, Guys, Miguel is 19 years old, and he's going to go on loan at the age of 19 to a yeah. very professional club. And then he's going to come back. And, you know, you look at Joe Keeney getting transferred out in his mid to early 20s. You know, it's Miguel is so young. This is such an early move for him. There is so much in the future for him. Let's not get worried about a 19-year-old going on loan to a very quality club. Let's, you know... Just wait and see how this plays out and how the next three homegrown players that we have uh, play out. You know, I mean, there's just so much to come. There's more homegrowns coming. We got to leave space for more homegrowns. So we can't sign too many homegrowns. Like, this is a massive conversation I shouldn't dig into too much, but I'm excited for the future and I'm not at all disheartened by this. There's one thing I want to touch on. There's a couple questions in the chat that I, I think would help inform some of these things as we, we pivot to uh, some preseason notes is that. Daniel Guevara asks, how does all this work with the roster needing to be set by February 23rd? And the February 23rd date is actually roster compliance date. It's just the date that clubs need to be compliant and have all of their X's and O's marked and they have their GAM spent and they have their international players set. It's not saying you can't bring in players after February 23rd. It's just saying that if you have eight international roster slots, mm -hmm. you can't have nine players uh, contracted and, and be in compliance. It's roster compliance only. You have to be playing by the rules as of February 23rd. And that also plays into Tim Parker's bucket hat question of what's the current roster slots, international slots. So currently right now, St. Louis has no open international roster slots. With the players on loan, with the players signed, we are right there. I believe it is sitting at nine if I, if I had my numbers right. And so we don't have sp space right now to sign an international player. We don't have a space to sign Kojima, our super draft pick, Jose Kojima. So we'll need to make a move if we want to sign them or send somebody out on loan. That, that will need to be firmed up by February 23rd. From a roster slot perspective, 
we basically have five open roster slots. Three of those are because of our three guys on loan, Jensen, Pedro, and Miguel Perez. And then there are two out-and-out open roster slots. Uh, this is after, of course, the Nico Giochini sale. So room to maneuver, and that is that is quite a few open slots when you're talking about an MLS club with so many competitions coming oh, yeah. up. Yeah, and honestly, I think at least one needs to be filled sooner than later. But I think they're trying to figure out who's the best person for that, which is a scary, scary decision. And I want to say, too, like that roster, uh, the day where you have to declare who is what, that's yeah. also where you declare right where the money is being shifted from one column to another that we look mm -hmm. at. You know, you sent us a little spreadsheet on like what money we have. And it was like your best guess. That's where uh, the club has to like put their money where their mouth is and say where it is. Right. One thing I do want to say on that is that was my best guess at our buckets. But the takeaway to that that we sh you showed last week of the how much gam I think we have, Tam and our salary cap is the total number. So I was playing around with the buckets and you can allocate GAM certain places. Yeah. I think we're we're spending the bare minimum of GAM to be roster compliant in the salary cap. And so that's where I was driving a lot of those numbers from. But that's that's really what we need to do is be compliant by February 23rd in where everything's allocated. The last thing I want to really cover in uh, Chris Gebhardt mentions this is <laughs> the green card news. We, we have to cover this. And I think... Our listeners on the Big 550 KTRS would appreciate this in the segment we have for them. We don't have any news on green card changes, and I did reach out directly to the club, and they did say that if there is news to be had, it would be delivered by the people you would expect to deliver it, Lutz or Diego. If they're going to say it, if, if something's to be said, they'll say it, and currently there's no news. To add on to this, we have heard that prior to his loan, this past year, Selmer Pedro was scheduled for a green card interview this past November, one that did not take place because he was loaned out. So we use that information, and with all the assumptions that that was true, you can kind of parse out potentialities for some of these other players that we've we've speculated on. And Selmer Pedro was, of course, the first signed player to St. Louis City, except for Josh Yarrow on a one-on-one -on -one deal. He was the first announced directly to City back in February 2022. If Selmir Pedro was signed in February 22 and he has his green card interview on November 23, that's a significant time period. And, and it it is vastly different from some players. It's right in line with other players in MLS. And the big thing that I think we need to keep in mind is that there's a lot of key roles, key things, key factors here with green cards. The, the attorneys play a huge role. There's a a metric ton of paperwork that uh, our friend Mario with Santos can tell you all about because he does that for a living. And then the other thing that from all indications, looking at all of the different players who have gotten green cards is that every process is different. We're hearing that players that have played in multiple countries, the process could be easier than for a player that's only played in one country. So there's a lot of factors at play for guys like Berkey, Klaus, Leuven, Ostrak, and Nilsson, who came in more or less all at the same time and have been in America this entire time who are going to be our first men up when it comes to potential green cards. Yeah. And I like Matt, what you said, there's like so many variables here. And unfortunately there's just like, there's not enough information for us to make um, a definite guess at, at what's going on, honestly. And so, you know, there's a, a kind of no response from the club and so we see some clubs are able to get some players done in 
anywhere from a year to three years, right, to get green cards for these yep. players we've been seeing announced in the last three months especially. Um, and so you might look at St. Louis and you might say, well, nothing's happened for us. Are we dropping the ball? You know, these are questions we might ask because there's an absence of information here. Uh, no announcements to be had. So that's an option, right? That's one of the options that maybe they have not done a perfect job with this. And then something occurred to me today. I was just trying to think with my my capitalist brain. Um, you know, what if, so like if we're buying international slots for 200,000, $250,000 is what they've mm -hmm. been going in GAM, right? In Garber Bucks, TAM, whatever. Um, GAM, and, you can't trade TAM. Thank, sorry, GAM, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and so like, you know, that's fake money. And then I started thinking, well, what does um, a green card lawyer or a lawyer trying to take care of a green card? I'm so sorry for my terminology being so bad. Uh, but a lawyer trying to take care of a green card, what does that man cost, right? Man or woman, like <laughs> that's that person might cost Fifty to a hundred thousand dollars of real dollars, and you know, Lutz might look at that and be like, "Well, to me, Gam is easier and cheaper in the long run because I can just get an international slot from Nashville who doesn't even want them, right? For mm -hmm. 250000 but yeah. I have to give fifty thousand dollars or more to this lawyer to get one green card or something like that. Who knows what the real money situation is?" But it just occurred to me, like, this could be as easy as follow the money, as dollars and cents. So, like, maybe the lawyer costs more than just buying an international slot. And, and so you have to wonder, like, what's going to happen? What would have happened if Cedric Tukert was, like, ready to come to St. Louis? What would have happened? Would we have announced a green card, like, magically appeared? Would we have found yeah. a way to get an international slot? Because we have zero right now, Matt, right? Right. Back I, me up on this. I've I've speculated and and I'm almost sold on the fact that if we sign a player from across the sea or from South America, an international player, it's going to come with a corresponding international slot trade. It it will happen, and it'll probably be in that hundred fifty two hundred thousand dollar range, like you're saying. And that move in its in and of itself is it's almost like robbing from Peter to pay Paul because you're shifting around the fake Garber bucks from buying down player salaries and basically increasing the roster spend to bringing in an international slot. You're not spending real money in any sense, but you're taking away the bucket that you can spend real money for. Yeah. Matt, we're kind of out of time. I think we all got our thoughts in about the uh, green card here. Is there anything you want to touch on in the next like two or three minutes? I want a quick hit preseason update so far, just for the radio portion. We'll deep dive in our, our full pod in the wind down. But as we record this on January 25th, and it, it airs this weekend, St. Louis City will have already played their first preseason match against Nashville SC on Friday, January 26th. Check out social media to find out how that match went and what all occurred. Bradley Carnell really said in the pregame interview that he's not looking for specific roster battles. This is to get a baseline going on. So this is the beginning of everything that's to come. We know from a personnel perspective, U17 player Carson Locker came and went. He's back in St. Louis now. He has school, so he can't miss that. You look at City 2 players like, uh, or really City Academy player Nick Bishop is still in camp. City 2 player Car uh, Michael Wenzel is still in camp. Caden Glover, Tyson Pierce, Jose Kojima, Brendan McSorley. They've arrived in camp, our, our super draft picks. So the band's all here. Carson Locker has departed and the team returns to St. Louis Friday night to train in St. Louis all this next week before going to California on Friday, February 2nd. A little look ahead for City. Good stuff. 
lots more to come. Preseason news is just getting kicked off, guys, and we're going to hit it really hard. Again, uh, if you're listening on the radio, we do have a podcast, and you can listen to more details. We kind of deep dive, have a little bit more of a layback conversation in the second half uh, in the wind-down, what we call it. So check out our podcast if you'd like more. Otherwise, thanks so much for listening and joining us. Uh, we'll fly over footy on the big 550 KTRS. Talk to you guys next time. See you later. Welcome everyone to the wind down. There's a little fat. There's a. <laughs> I that was so I was sad. I I forgot we do that. I'm not gonna lie. I totally forgot. And I'm not I drinking a sound can. effect. I'm so. It was I'm like a, a panicked. Baby. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I I go and grab a bottle. I'm like I don't know what I'm doing here. I had something was, else I was getting ready to do. And I love this it. is I'm the thing I'm drinking tonight is an NA drink. Actually, it's called Klosdaler. I don't know if anybody's had uh, NA beers from Trader Joe's. It's dry January after after all. So this is one of the best NA beers I have ever had. They're, they have two styles. Um, I, I don't know what they really are. One's dr- a- IPA dry hopped something. It's it's totally preseason form. But yeah, agree. In the stream, yeah. Trader Joe's <laughs> from Germany, best NA beer I've ever had. That's great. I've been hearing people getting excited about NA beers this year. That's been like a 2023, 2024 sort of thing. Yeah. Schlafly and Urban Chestnut each have new ones. Um, Urban Chestnut has one they're trying out and uh, you actually can play a part in feedback to improve it. And then Schlafly just came out with their new pale ale. Uh, This Manhattan is full of alcohol. (laughs) If I start ranting later, we know what the culprit is. Yes, please do. Please do cut me off. One of the things we were talking about right before we came back, and I wanted to save it, is uh, there was a comment that I need to have a Como jersey as my new backdrop. And it reminded me that there is an active Reddit post from somebody trying to crowdsource orders for Como FC gear. And because Como FC is obviously in Serie B and they're they're not a huge outfit, they don't have a league to sell their gear like MLS, they sell things locally and through their shop. And that's it. And shipping is rather outrageous. It's like 45 to 56 euro. And this guy on Reddit, shout out to Rob under STL under 63123, is trying to organize a bulk order of Como FC gear. He he says he added 58 items to his cart to see if shipping would be affected and it didn't look like it. This guy (laughs) is the real hero. Doing the legwork, trying to crowdsource Como gear for St. Louis fans. If you're into it, check out the St. Louis City SC subreddit and join in because that would be hilarious if that went through. It, I want to tell a quick story. Can I tell a quick story? We we want – I didn't wait for your answer. But we went to an Orlando City preseason game one year, my brothers-in-law and me. And um, we – it was they were playing an Icelandic club. And so – I think I t- either messaged Sean Reynolds just like out of the blue to see if he would answer uh, former St. Louis city or St. Louis FC uh, center back current Academy coach for St. Louis city. Mm-hmm. And um, cause he played in Iceland for a little while. And I was like, what is this club they're playing? We want to buy shirts, but we don't know anything about him. He's like, Oh, there were my Icelandic clubs rivals. And so I was like, okay, great. Like what should we scream at your rivals during the game? And I can't remember what he said, but <laughs> 
it was a fun interaction. We bought jerseys just by emailing their comms director and they sent jerseys wow. for us. We still paid for them, right? We, we bought them. Of course, of course. But, but they sent them to the game and had them ready for us. That was awesome. It was so cool of them to do that. So good story there, in, including a St. Louis uh, connection there. But I maybe you reach out to the comms. Who knows? They might They might help us out there. You never know once they get wind of it. You never know what might happen. They might just ship a handful of Nico jerseys for for the club to raffle off or something. That would be something. I would love that. Yeah. Uh, where should we go next, though, Matt? We kind of barely touched on preseason camp notes. There's some good stuff there. and We have lots of other news to talk yeah, about. Yeah, I'm, I'm just impressed at the notion uh, that Carson Locker got another look. That's a name that Love we that. clearly need to be remembering. Midfielder Carson Locker with the U-17s. If you remember, at the end of last season when Indiana Vasilev had his youth national team call up with the Olympic squad, Carson Locker was brought into training for a period of time to help kind of fill that gap, get some experience. It sounds like he's built up quite a partnership with Edu Leuven in that mentorship role. Tim Parker last week had some really good things to say about the young guys who were in camp, and Locker is obviously one of those players who's kind of, as Parker was saying, kind of getting out of his shell. So that was it was really interesting to see him in camp for a significant period of time to start. And then Michael Wenzel, Nick Bishop, those are the other guys for me. Is I, I love seeing, and this is, I don't know, this is maybe completely coincidental, but the fact that there's one U17 player, one UPSL player, one City 2 player, all invited to camp, I, I that seems too coincidental to be actual coincidence like it seems you know what i mean and i i just like the fact that we're giving a look to each one of these types of players maybe it's the fact that you know bishop has some downtime between the upsl game that they want or before the upsl playoff game because this was um i'm not sure the circumstances i i just know that they're pulling a cup one player from each of these squads and it's it's exciting to see because that's helping them get that kind of experience with the first squad in a preseason just knowing what it's like, getting that competition and getting looks because if there's, and, and we'll touch on AZ Jackson in a minute, but AZ mentioned just getting a look at national team camp. It's huge for play, for coaches that don't know you that well. Mm-hmm. And you, you have an opportunity to prove yourself to play and to, to talk to them, to sell yourself. The more they know, the more they're likely to take further looks. And that's what we're seeing with Carson Locker, with Nick Bishop, with Michael Vensel. And it's exciting for their future with city. Yeah. And, and you can tell something, um, you know, just watching Kanan Glover last year, you could kind of tell in preseason training, like what he was about and you could tell like why he was a step above. It wasn't cause he was like nails on going to score a goal. I feel like there was more nuance to his game that you might not see in an Academy game. And it's really interesting to see whether or not he can do those sorts of things, those like hold up play, Mm -hmm. the flick ons, like those sort of things. Can he do that on the upper level? And I saw him do it in training and preseason. Now I don't know if he can sustain it. Right. But he sure looked good and certain looks had really good ideas. And that's the sort of thing. If you can build on, um, if you can do that with the upper echelon, that's saying a lot and you don't know till you try. Right. And so getting these guys in with the adults, seeing what they're about on the upper level when you have almost no time on the ball, especially with city. Right. So like seeing what they're capable of in these situations is super helpful. And I'm so glad they've gotten the chance to, to give it a shot and for the coaches to see it as well. Yeah. And you're, you're seeing your homegrowns here. Tyson Pierce is here. I think he wasn't, at least my understanding is he's here. I, there was a, my, I believe he's there. Carnell referenced him kind of offhanded as if, 
uh, asking if he said his name earlier, but my understanding is Tyson Pierce was not with the club last week. That's what Carnell said last week, but he is with the club now joining Jose Kojima, Brandon McSorley. The youngsters are here. These guys that we want to see looks at, and we saw a few videos of them in training. I, I think we saw an unfortunate video of Jose Kojima publicly saying something negative about toasted ravioli. Him gonna have to get him a better batch. Yeah, That's yeah. all I'm saying. You're gonna have to get him a better batch. He needs a better, better chance. Um, one thing I did find fascinating is in I think it was in Tom Timmerman's article in the Post Dispatch. Jose Kojima, if you remember us talking about him at the end of last year when we first drafted him, he was kind of we talked him up as a student of the game. How he brought scouting reports to every sing of every single team to the Super Draft in in to prepare to present them as if he's done all his research. And uh, oh, it was Brent, it was Brandon McSorley that talked about the, the toast ravioli. So I don't want to throw Jose Kojima <laughs> under the bus there. Sorry about that. Um, but anyway, Kojima, in his, his student of the game mind, one of the things that uh, he said in the Post-Dispatch article is that he, he knew St. Louis from the Super Draft last year. He watched the Super Draft the year before where it was held at City Park. And so he, he mentioned seeing the fan base, seeing the the excitement and how it, it's never been really done I think before. you mentioned like how good this uh, new guy, Matt Baker, was in that super draft. <laughs> I, did have, I did have an immediate uh, one of those like stage fright moments where I realized that I actually had a microphone in front of my face at that super draft with <laughs> Jillian Stakovitz. And that was terrifying to remember. But I love the fact that he had that long-term memory of St. Louis. He knows what the fan base is like. He knows that... We're that hardcore, that passionate, and he can expect that coming in. So that's going to, of course, excite you, regardless of what the team had done on the field. The fact that he's coming into a, a winning cultural environment, he has to be loving life at this point. And seeing him, he's a little more, he seemed a little taller next to some guys than I was expecting. Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm same. excited to just see how he lines up and what kind of look we we get from him. Because his he's not signed. Him and McSorley are not signed to the roster, and it it doesn't really – we don't know how it's going to shake out. Like I said, we have an open roster slot. We don't have an open international slot that he would take. Um, so I, I'm I'm interested in those two and where they go. Fully expecting McSorley to land with City 2, but Kojima is entirely up in the air. Kojima also said that he's not at the level yet, but he wants to learn. Yes. He is learning. I love that honesty. Um, and clearly, if you're admitting that you're not at the level, that means you're – trying to get there right so that's he's funny. he seems like he's a very down-to-earth honest yes. and aware guy that's that's huge for him to be aware at that age that's i mean speaking wise beyond his years type of thing going on here and you love that when you pair that with the physical talents that he clearly has he could have a very bright future for st louis I also want to take it back a little bit in that uh, Tyson Pierce's appearance in Florida also seemed to be surrounding that UPSL game. And so it felt like he played with UPSL, mm -hmm. went down to Florida, and then we'll see, you know, they won, right? So now yeah. they got to play Columbus's academy in UPSL. Um, and so we'll see if he returns for that. I'm sure he will. Um good experience right big game but you know just to mention that upsl game that they just played it was a 1-0 victory to st louis that doesn't sound impressive but if you watch the game st louis was so in control of that game and they ended up with a lot of possession which is not something with the senior team you would have liked uh but they had a lot of ideas they looked really good against florida premier 
Um, I thought they had more ideas. I thought our wingers especially were running them ragged um, and just being extremely dangerous the entire time. Um, and no one in the midfield looked out of place. No one in defense, goalkeeper. No one looked out of place. Everyone looked in control. It looked like St. Louis was instilling their style of play on the other team and winning uh, that that kind of a tactical battle. Even though Florida Premier did have lots of counterattacking chances. Um, you know, they played a good game. It was close. But I loved how much St. Louis City uh, controlled the game and how many ideas they had in the final third. It was really fun to see those guys make off ball movements and that, that kind of stuff. Um, but go look, if you haven't seen the clip of Kai Pope scoring that goal. Oh my gosh. It was sick. Sick. Gotta, gotta watch that one. And it was and facilitated by Jackson Delkus. And I'm yes. glad you brought up the UPSL side because the, these are, these are guys who will show up on city two. And I would not be surprised at all if they started showing up this year to city two. I don't know if it's coincidence oh, that sure. we, we have yet to see a City 2 roster. Yes. Be, but the UPSL side that's still playing, there are so City 2 just as a quick aside has their own specific set of roster rules. They don't have anything to do with game and tam, but it has to do with the number of players that you can have on your roster that are amateurs. City MLS Next Pro allows you to sign players to professional contracts and amateur contracts. If you think about guys who have played for City 2, in a D3 professional league and then gone off to college, uh, those are the kinds of players who are on amateur contracts, and that's how they're allowed to do that. I would look for a host, or at least a few, of these UPSL players to take a step up and find some time with City 2 this year. And if not this year, then next year, Jackson Delkus, who is, I think he's a City lifer in the sense of when City first started their academy, the U16s, U17s, he was a U16 and he's just risen every ever since. He is a goal-scoring machine. He's got the long hair and headband. You can't miss him. And he facilitated right. that goal by Kai Pope. He went to retrieve the long ball. He had the the shot that hit the goalkeeper, bounced away to Kai Pope, and then Pope chipped the keeper. Yeah, gosh, I'm trying to bring up who's the who was the right wing? Falpel. Anthony Falpel. Anthony Falpel, yeah. who, who so played They both for... looked equally good in their own ways, but yes. I mean, both of those wingers looked incredible. It was a fun game. I, I recommend you guys keep watching UPSL. I regret not watching more Academy, uh, but here we are. Grown men with families trying to keep up. That's that's how we roll. Not this weekend, but next. February 2nd through the 4th are the national finals, the semifinal matches, St. Louis City against Columbus Crew, and then Chirlaco FC against Foro SC from California and Texas. Semifinal games, right? Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Uh, where to next, Matt? Oh, let's take a look at, let's take a look at City 2. Let's pivot right into that since we were just talking about City 2. They released their preseason schedule, so we we have an idea of what their season's going to look like. And um, our friend from Mo Football, Musa Seka, is the, one of the biggest City 2 fans I can think of. Shout out for all the matches he took his family to last year and the coverage he gives that club. I love it. I love going to City 2 matches. My daughters enjoyed the heck out of it. That Me too. Family environment. environment. I yeah. hope they foster it even more. Yeah. But we know what that team's schedule is going to look like. And so hopefully we start to get a little bit of an insight in their roster. They're actually in training right now. January 22nd through February 9th, they are training in St. Louis at the Wash U High Performance Center. Their first match in preseason is February 10th against Union Omaha. They have some training in Florida from February 12th through the 21st. Then they have some matches. Uh, they come back to St. Louis February 24th. 
They play Memphis 901 on March 2nd. They play forward Madison on March 9th to finish preseason. And then the unannounced MLS Next Pro schedule will begin after March 9th. But I am very interested in seeing what this roster looks like. I teased it earlier that there are a handful of players who are going to be returning. In fact, the current roster after the current roster as we know it as of January 25th is just the end of season roster from last year. It has no goalkeeper signed. It has Michael Wenzel as the only signed defender. Larson Hackworth and John Klein are the midfielders and Dita Armstrong is the forward. That is the only listed signees for sure signed at the end of last year. And Klein is a maybe, right? Like they're still talking and Walker is a maybe, the goalkeeper he, Walker. Yes, it had listed that, well, City 2 declined the contract of Eric Walker. But no, they said they were still in... They declined the top. option. They were still, yes. Still. We know that uh, Faisal Batashi is returning to England as best we know it. I look for Mo Football information on that. AJ Palazzolo retired. Um, Stanislav Koval is gone. Ezra Armstrong is signing. Where did he sign? USL Championship. Ezra? Oh, I forgot. You look that up in a second. Juan Cousin is out of contract. Sergio Rivas is out of contract. Where I've heard we were negotiating. Negotiations are, yes, they confirmed negotiations were ongoing with Juan Cousin and Sergio Rivas. They could return. But it's a it's a sparse roster, and these players signed to professional contracts. There's only five oh, of them. Ezra Armstrong, Pittsburgh Riverhounds. Bingo. That's Future it. Future star. That's what's going to happen there. Love it. Love that for him so much. After what he went through to rehab and recover from his injury, we'll, we'll be following Pittsburgh for him. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited for him to be there. Um, also, um, Schneider went to Indy 11. Good club there. New mm-hmm. coach this year. Um, you know, it, it'll be interesting. They have a new stadium coming in the next couple of years. So if he hangs around there, I think he could become like an Indy 11 legend. Also, um, I completely forgot that um, um, Aiden Stanley is also at Indy 11. Um, and then St. Louis has a ton of people at uh, Charleston Battery. So like just stuff you to got, follow in the in the championship this year is like I think awesome. you got fact checked by chat and Ezra Armstrong has been signed by North Carolina FC. I think that's wrong, Scott. I don't normally go against someone, but I got Ezra Armstrong right in front of me in a Riverhounds jersey. So I, I think that might be wrong. What year are you looking at, bud? Oh wait, did he get loaned there last year or something? December fifteenth, twenty twenty three, the North Carolina FC announced his signing. It's 2021. I didn't know he played in uh, the Riverhounds in 2021. <laughs> so sorry, Scott. My mistake. I rarely argue with people, and now we know why. So North Carolina fans we are. Yeah. I love I'm it. I said he didn't become a star at Pittsburgh Riverhounds. He should have stayed. No, we love him. We love him. I'm glad he spent See, this is this is going to be something to track, though, is City 2 as well as City outgoing players, the alumni so to speak. And no matter how many years you play, like uh, our friend Brian Simpson, who runs the STL soccer tracker account, you always follow them. They're one of us always. And it doesn't matter what team they play for, what country they go to, Faisal, Ezra, any of these guys, we're going to follow them at whether we follow them a little bit, whether we see highlights of them, it, they're always going to be St. Louis at heart. I think soccer tracker is the best of us, to be honest. I think they do the best work in St. Louis. Big fan. At least for free. <laughs> um, 
MLS news round. Oh no, let's talk about our, our loanies. Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah, that's a perfect segue since that I'm, you know, I'm 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 working on my segues. We're still in preseason form. I'm I'm getting these transitions going. So going from uh needing to track our loanies and alumni to actually tracking those who um either just left the senior team or who we have a vested interest in because they're getting developed for us. Mm. Um, this is a segment that I do want to keep on flyover regularly. And so you can look forward to it, Phil, on our show notes, seeing it's it every single by week. STL Soccer Tracker. <laughs> That's what we should do from now on as a joke. Is that how sponsorships work? You just say somebody's sponsoring you and yeah. then they pay you later? I can need to, only need to make assume, note of that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Isak Jensen is first up and I, he should be first up. Viborg FF. He has he's had three friendlies in January as they gear up for their second half of the season after Denmark's winter break. Isak Jensen was a sub on January 12th in their first game back, and he started both games, uh, January 19th and 25th since then. He has three more friendlies with Viborg upcoming before their season resumes on February 16th. But honestly, Jensen looks to be cementing himself right back in their starting 11, just like he was at the end of the first half of last season. Today, for instance, January 25th, in the match that he started, he set up the first goal, the highlight of which can be seen at the STL Soccer Tracker Twitter account. The Viborg team won 4-2, and we look forward to seeing what Jensen has to offer here in the next few matches. And this is a name, and as as much as we love the next name, and so this Isak Jensen is a name that people can't forget. If you're talking about attacking help, Isak Jensen can play a forward left wing. He can be that person if he's ready to fill that type of a role. And so as he's coming back, we saw flashes of it with city Two. We saw a lot of it with city Two actually last year, but we saw flashes of it with city. He has the potential. He's another player on a long-term contract through 2027. So he, he also has rumored um, loan with an option to purchase. So this isn't a wrinkle for Isak Jensen as we follow him and, Love seeing him do good things. Viborg's sporting director is actually the one who confirmed there's an option for purchase. They're telling local outlets in Denmark that. So that's going to be interesting to see what happens and if St. Louis ends up with a payday this summer versus a returning hmm. left winger. I didn't think about that payday. That is nice. I get this vibe that Isaac is very happy in Denmark. I'm not sure how much he liked it here, uh, but even if he did... He's having so much success there. The fact that Viborg mentioned that there's a buying option means I think they wouldn't have said that publicly unless they were interested in in taking it. And it makes sense. I love I tried to look up whether he was part of any of those four goals, Matt. And I guess you saw that he was part of one. He was he, he set up the first one. He worked on the left side. He took the ball deep to the end line and then he sent it in. I don't know if he was officially credited with an assist because the ball was kind of bouncing all over the place, but he created that. He facilitated it. It yeah. was a, a shot creating action, as we love to say on the stats that we follow in season. And Cle- clearly having success there, yeah. Yes, absolutely. On the other hand, <laughs> Delmer Pedro has no news. And that's probably going to stay the same for a while. He's playing he is currently rostered with FC's Lynn who are on winter break until February 11th. So we will have probably no news on Selmer Pedro other than I suppose he made a cameo in our news earlier about the green card information. And I guess we're just going to have to wait and see on him. You know, we, we talked last year enough about him. I don't want to get into it too much, but we'll continue to track him and how he's doing while he's officially on loan from city. He was one I was watching. Like if we 
didn't sign a left back, we were going to have to use him this year, right? And we ended up signing sure. a left back. So I think that's yeah. news in itself, right? Yeah, the, the writing was on the wall when we signed Anthony Marcanic, and it became that much more clear when Nicholas Dewar was signed. Agree. So the other ones are the newbies. Miguel Perez on loan with Birmingham. Their season starts soon. We can watch him, hopefully, if he's ready with Atlanta on Saturday. Um, we'll kind of keep tabs on Jared Stroud and Lucas Bartlett. I think it's fun to keep tabs Absolutely. on the City alumni, who they're training in Saudi Arabia. Did you see this? Well, I saw it because that DC reporter, Pablo, yes. mentioned it today. And I was Pablo like, Maurer. holy cow. What was the comment he used? They were... Um, it's almost like they thrive in being irrelevant. They can get away with training in Saudi Arabia because they know no one cares. It's DC United, but that's weird. It's very yeah, weird that they're doing that. It's got to have some money involved, right? There's no doubt monetary implications, but it's the fact that nobody really seems to be. Yeah, he, he's his quote was um, weaponize its weaponizes its irrelevant irrelevance. I'm so yes. sorry. Do it, DC doing most of their preseason in Saudi Arabia, weaponizing their irrelevance. Wow. What so, that, that, I mean, that the implication is pretty clear, right? It's the fact that nobody cares about DC allows them to do something shady for money, right? So you Feels read shady. that. Yeah. And so, I mean, Lucas Bartlett and Jared Stroud are part of that. And not that they're... I, I, I didn't mean it like yeah. that. I, <laughs> I, I don't mean it like that. I just mean they're on the team that they're staff is facilitating weaponizing I their say that i don't think st louis fans would like not throw a fit about that i really truly we're not irrelevant enough for our club to be able to weaponize anything there we go we would have we we're would getting have... spicy as the night goes on here matt <laughs> it's these na drinks man <laughs> um yeah nico joaquin is the last one that we have on on tap that we're tracking and that's for reasons that we went way into detail on earlier and, and that's an exciting one. I'll just reiterate the fact that as Nico goes, so go the coffers of St. Louis. As Como goes, so go the coffers of St. Louis. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're intertwined for at least the next year. And that's a fact with a reported up to $2 million add-on. It's exciting to be able to track that. It's first of our kind, first of, the, first of any kind like that. So not just first outgoing sale to Europe, first outright sale um, to a non-MLS entity. It's, there's a lot at stake with Nico that we're going to track. I've done a terrible job limiting our time. Um, we should only do one more thing, but um, since I've done a terrible job, I feel like we should Could end I talk with Sportico two? thing. Yeah, I think we should end with Sportico, and I think you should okay. choose one more thing to maybe talk about. Let's do the uh, let's do the MLS news. There's there's a couple I want to hit on, and I thought this would be another nice regular segment because I think if there's one thing that we don't do, it's bring in the bigger picture type of a thing league-wide news or big things going on with other clubs that it's just nice to know because they'll they're going to come around to impact st louis and the first one um is pedro de la vega which he's a if you if you follow any of the mls transfer news he was the biggest signing of the week signed by the seattle sounders from lanis in argentina as seattle's first ever young dp for an estimated 6.5 million dollar transfer fee he's a 22 year old argentinian winger who plays for their youth national team and the fun fact for Seattle is that De La Vega has been wearing Lannis's number 10 for the past five years, and the last player to play for Lannis to wear that kit was Nico Ladero. Mm. So there's some history occurring Funny. here. And by all accounts, the kid is legit, and I'm not saying he's the next Messi, but first young DP in Seattle's history, that's meaningful. 
Yeah. And Seattle is looking to replace Raul Ruiz Diaz, Nico Ladero. They have a, a gap in their attack. And this kid is going to be front and center. We play Seattle twice. So get used to the name Pedro de la Vega. Some some interesting stuff. If you listen to Extra Time, I'm just going to steal from them. Like he is a dribbly boy that he is someone that's going to look kind of like um, Celio, honestly, but probably, you know, insane, right? Insanely mm-hmm. good can score on, on a whim. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see. Um, I forgot what the guy's name is on the left, but he's like a real direct speedster, um, kind of like a, a left-sided striker. Um, and then this guy is going to have to be kind of the dribbly boy, the scoring guy, but also maybe the most playmaker type guy they have. So filling yeah. Ladero's role, we'll see how that plays out. And maybe they'll just look a little different and be fine. Maybe he'll have to figure out how to be the playmaker in MLS, which may be easy for him, may not be. That'll be a fun thing to watch. The other big news that I do want to make sure we mention, because it will have a direct impact to City if it follows through, is that the MLS referees have authorized a strike. On Monday, January 22nd, The Athletic reported that the Professional Soccer Referees Association, which is the labor union representing the professional referees in North America and Canada, North America and Canada, United States and Canada, have voted to authorize a potential strike amid ongoing negotiations with the Professional Referees Organization, or PRO. The new CBA is at the crux of this, and this is not the first time that this type of a labor dispute has occurred. And the last time this happened, 2014, there was a work stoppage, and MLS took action prior to the actual strike, and what they did is they locked out the referees, which enabled them to hire replacement refs. Mm-hmm. History is being, it, it's assumed that history will repeat itself if PSRA vote to strike. If no deal is reached by January 31st and they look to strike, MLS could lock them out, meaning that they can hire replacement refs for matches to begin the year. I don't even want to get into, I mean, we could speculate what replacement refs might look like as far as quality of officiating, which will invariably lead into jokes about the current level of officiating. So mm-hmm. I just want to say, I just want to report the news on this one. <laughs> I don't, I want to take a side because. Go for um, it, man. Well, it's just, I think it was really telling to me, I can be pretty harsh on the refs. You know, I, I'm one that like really yells and tries to rally them to our cause and then applauds them at the end, right? I'm not down with any booing of refs mm-hmm. after the whistle has been blown. I want to be real clear on that. But, um, you know, I think it was really telling when we played Club America in League's Cup. It was CONCACAF referees, and I feel like it was really clear how bad those referees were compared to MLS. And I think everyone needs to take note of that because we're so hard on referees in general. And in that case, we shouldn't have just been mad about the refereeing in that game. We should have been like, thanking the heavens that we don't have that every week in MLS seasons. That's true. And so um, I think we should all take note and support these guys. They deserve a good wage. They're quality referees. If you listen to an episode of Scuffed recently, if you scroll back and you look for when they interview a referee, you hear how seriously they take it. I know they're not like, they're not like uh, really good about like talking about how they referee why they make their decisions. Um, and so we're left like guessing and often that goes negative, but we really do have good referees in MLS these days compared to what it was before. Um, and so again, I think we should thank them. We should thank the heavens for every ref that we see anywhere in general, but we should also be thankful for what we get in MLS 
and definitely uh, take note of the difference in quality if we get these these non um, pro referees filling in for them for lack of a better, I can't think of a better word, but like they will be scabs. If you're a union rep kind of a person, like this is, this is a serious matter that we shouldn't just uh, forget about. Yeah. Last year I had the fortune to talk with Jen Cease a lot covering St. Louis city at trainings and things. And that led into conversations with George Gansner, who a lot in St. Louis might know former FIFA and MLS assistant referee. He's from St. Louis he has some of the best takes on refereeing mm. and he, he calls in and he, he hosts segments and on KMOX often. And he is a source of knowledge, a wealth of knowledge. And his takes are always well-educated. They're, they're responsible, which is a, a word that I think is important when it comes to the conversations about referees, because you're right. Referees, they, they take the brunt of both sides. They get it from all sides in a match, there's no nobody who is a fan of referees during a soccer match, and that's that's a job that they accept, they do well, and they they take the abuse that they're given at times, and they do the best that they can. They are there are different levels depending on different leagues around the world, but it, it, gosh, I mean, we know that we've had our fair share of complaints last year, but it comes from all sides, and at the end of the day the level of difference between the refs who are part of the PSR PRSA and the scabs, like you say, are going to be night and day. Mm. And so when it comes to, uh, should you hope for anything out of this, like uh, pro union, anti-union pro MLS referees, anti MLS referees, uh, the, the PSRA, the professional soccer referees association will be a higher quality officiating crew than any potential replacement, which means better quality matches that we're going to get to see for St. Louis city. That in and of itself is a clear cut line for me to say that I hope either a deal can be struck or whatever needs to happen for this group of officials to continue refereeing our matches. Absolutely. One to follow and we'll keep you updated uh, weekly about that. Uh, Lastly, we'll talk about Sportico has city valued as the 18th most valuable MLS team and worth $625 million with $70 million in revenue for 2023, which is tied for 11th in the league, which is really fun yeah. to see. So many thoughts about this. I think about this kind of stuff a lot. But Matt, what did, what did you think when you saw all those numbers? The, the Obviously, the two numbers, the total value and the revenue. The revenue being tied for 11th was awesome to see yeah. because, you know, that you look at you look at ticket sales, you look at jersey sales. Um, and you compare it to populations of cities, the uh, the teams ahead of us, for instance, um, LAFC, Inter-Miami, Atlanta United, LA Galaxy, Austin, Charlotte, FC Cincinnati, Seattle, Columbus, and Philadelphia Union. There are all kinds of ways you could describe those teams from passionate fan bases to giant stadiums to mega stars that play for their teams, to huge populations in their areas. And I think St. Louis is punching at our weight and what we should be in that being in that caliber. So being heads and tails above teams like Sporting KC, who is, uh, what, 17th in revenue compared to St. Louis at 11th, punching above our weight compared to Nashville, who is even down at that same level. Chicago, way worse. I mean, 
you're seeing a clear difference in the teams that are at the top, the haves and the have-nots when it comes to revenue, passionate fan bases, people willing to buy your product, go to your games, buy your merch, and and all of those things that go into what revenue is driven for a club. From a total value, I think it just makes sense. You know, I'm not really surprised or anything related to like shocked from our total revenue or total value rather because the total value and they they have a methodology here on Sportico. So I just want to say that the methodology for Sportico is related to uh, detail uh, deriving the market value based on each team's revenue, relying on publicly available information, financial records, and interviews with those knowledgeable of team finances, including seven sports bankers and attorneys who actively work on MLS transactions. So they're taking every single facet of available data they can to come up with these valuations, taking into account, like you said, the revenue, the stadium cost, the land they own, the the different how long they've been a club for instance in you know historical context and what they've been building up to um players can drive this as inter miami had one of the biggest jumps year over year in total value and it was directly attributable to Lionel messi and his mm-hmm. friends that arrived so players can drive that total value yeah. i mean there's a lot that goes into this but seeing st louis where they are from what we did in our first season the cost of our stadium the purchase of the land the development of the training facility all of those different things being uh, privately financed, the debt to the debt ratio has got to be small in in the sense that it was privately paid. They, they're not relying on public funds. There's not a a city of St. Louis that owns part of the stadium type of a thing. You know, this is full ownership, f- privately paid for, overwhelmingly like ninety nine point nine percent of it. I, I think the our friend um, Dennis pointed out on X that there is a 1% sales tax that is classified as public funds, but you know a sales tax on goods and, and food and things, it's a drop in the bucket. Yeah. Everything else makes sense to me, and I'm happy to see St. Louis in this position to start things. It only goes up from here to me. You know, I, I have a bleeding heart for uh, Carolyn Kindle because you know that that family funded so much money up front for this kind of thing. And you're like, Oh man, I, I feel bad every time we're like, well, spend money on that, spend money on that in the club. Like I'd really love this to happen or that to happen. And every one of those things costs money. And, and we heard that, you know, they're passing a lot of the uh, profit on from you know, food vendors in, in the stadium, instead of taking a large percentage of that, they're trying to make sure the quality is high and pass the profits on to the vendors themselves. Like there's a lot of stuff the city's doing. Um, that is just like out of the kindness of their heart or, and also just like trying to make St. Louis a better place, try to make a name for city itself on the international level. And so I look at these numbers because I love that the revenue was really high. Is that an expansion uh, team sort of thing? Maybe we'll see what it is in the next three to five years. If it hangs in that area, it could just be a St. Louis thing, right? Like we may just support the heck out of this team, especially if they do well. Um, but Matt, I don't know if you were able to kind of do your best guess about what has been spent. MLS is not a cash flow business, right? It's not about how much money you make every year because you're going to outspend that in salaries and acquisitions. And you look at what we made on Joe Akini, well, we put way more than that into the players we've acquired um, up to this point, the academy, the money spent there. Um, and so you think about what we made last year, but it's really where it comes in that's value to an owner if they're 
a Stan Kroenke kind of person. Yeah. It's what the club is worth. And you look at what they've spent. Um, someone like Stan Kroenke is looking at that bottom line and making darn sure that he's going to come out on top in the end. And you look at how that club operates, how all of his clubs operate for the most part. And you know that the bottom line is, is what's most important with Carolyn Kendall. That is probably not true, but you know, with, with Kendall, I also look at like what owners are trying to move MLS forward, not just city, make a name for city, which is the most important thing to me. It's all I really care about, but I get excited about um, the national team, the quality of players in, in the United States in MLS and I look at the roster rules and I look at this number every year. What has each owner spent and what is the value of their club? How much of a risk are they willing to take to make MLS a better club? Someone like Miami, they don't care, right? They're spending yeah. the money. They're bringing in whoever they got to bring in. And don't yes, that comes limit. into the valuation, as you said, Matt. That was really cool to hear that. Uh, but, you know, I'm just like constantly thinking about these kinds of things. And, and I also think about like when do we expand the stadium to be bigger because clearly we can sell it out right in the way in the way things are now i'm looking at these kinds of things in the future of city what kind of club we are what kind of club uh, what kind of league mls is too well in that 625 you wonder where it comes from because to me when i see team valuations or total valuations that's how much somebody they expect somebody to be willing to pay for that entity a lot of and, its assets right yeah you said that it's solid solid stuff like a stadium but it also so you think about you you asked like what has st louis spent on and like where's all this money coming from that they're adding into the valuation and you go over the the methodology that sportico has st louis has spent probably upwards of that between the expansion fee they paid and the stadium and campus not not counting and you probably add into it like some of the player salaries but in comparison that 11 million is just (laughs) a, a drip in the bucket and so the expansion fee, the stadium and campus, it, it also, it's almost like a base level of every single MLS team is a stake in MLS. And that's valuable. Like we've seen because expansion fees have risen exponentially over the past few years, you know, there's implicit value in being at the table and that mm. comes with this total value. So if you, if you were to sell everything related to this club, you're selling your shares in MLS that are being valued at a base level of this $625 million. And that's on top of what we've spent on the stadium and all that infrastructure. It's, but that's yes. But I think the assets is probably most of that. Like I would say the clubs that have like a stadium owned by the city, Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, MLS is valuable, but let's say the economy just like dies or let's say MLS becomes a terrible league for whatever reason, it's not worth anything anymore. I still think that 625 million will be somewhere in the range of maybe, you know, four or 500 million because of the assets more so than the stake in MLS. But where it comes becomes important is the fact that the expansion fee that they're willing to pay an expansion fee that is so high. I mean, it's getting Mm -hmm. so ridiculously high. That shows like MLS owners may say, well, don't add more people. We're just like spreading our wealth too much now. Like the more we add, the more MLS's value gets distributed to more people. Like my stake is being thinned out by adding more owners. And so that expansion fee makes up for that. It's it's like a buy-in situation. So that's exactly it. Clearly, MLS has value, so I don't want you to hear me wrong. But um, you know, in in dire straits, it's it's the assets that are going to bring the most money 
And MLS has to bring at least one or 200 million of that. And I think that's shown by the expansion fee. It, and I think we're tr- I think we're kind of saying the same thing because yeah I'm not arguing with you I'm sorry no well well and, t- and two it's also perspective LAFC is the mo- the highest valued MLS team at 1.15 billion <laughs> and CF Montreal is the lowest valued team at 440 million you look at the teams at the bottom of that list CF Montreal Colorado Rapids Vancouver Whitecaps New England Revolution there are one or more things you could look to that say. My point was that the expansion fee slash the stake in MLS is a base component of all these teams. You're looking at St. Louis having paid $200 million as a portion of what the total value could be. I mean, that could easily line up with some of these other clubs. Of mm. If you're looking at the total value of an MLS expansion fee now, I think it's up to $300, $350 million, something like that, that San Diego paid. I think so. That as a huge chunk of the CF Montreal $440 million. They their stadium ish. They have stadium issues. They've got a small stadium up there. Dead. Sub- I'm gonna butcher the name. Colorado Rapids have a have a stadium that we know is in disarray. That's a good example to use. It's, yeah, it's like in disarray. the scoreboard's broken. Right, the scoreboard's broken. It's in disarray. It's outside of a downtown area. Like there's not much to like about that. That provides value. So Colorado Rapids, who are valued at 440 million, you could easily make an argument that 300 million of that is their stake in MLS. Like they're not going to drop below that value because they exist as an entity in MLS and that's what's being valued as a base of all of this. It's just it's just an interesting way to look at all of these things because the higher you go, you can start to see like where different teams have done the best work. And there are going to be LAFCs and Inter-Miamis that are just never going to drop below. But I, I also view this as, you know, how can St. Louis rise above this? Like what... And I haven't given any thought to it, but that's an interesting question that I, I keep thinking about is what does St. Louis need to do to continue to increase their value? Is it, is it win? Is it, it, does that just do it? Is winning a cup or a shield do that? Is it buying addition, like buying another land or stadium location for city two or so? I don't know. Oh, that's a good question. And I want to, I want to be in the room when the owners talk about that, or even like Garber might be like a financial um consultant and be like hey if you want to grow the value of your club these are things that people do yeah billy j says san diego was 500 million 500 and it was some absurd amount how this is what i get for not having uh my keyboard at my fingertips but i would love to hear like the most cynical uh pitch right like if you want to grow the value of your club do this or don't do this you know that would be so much fun to hear um if i saw carolyn kindle and we were alone in an elevator. That's kind of the sort of thing I would ask. Probably, <laughs> I wouldn't ask like the the romantic things. I'd be like, no, let's talk money. Like, how do you make money with this? Or why do what do what does Cronky do if he's being super cynical about this? What does he do to like just like wring every cent out of this club kind of thing? Well, that's another aspect too. Is that we know Carolyn Kindle's viewpoint on this is mostly philanthropic. Yeah, she didn't get into this to. I, I mean, this isn't a dig on her at all. She didn't get into this to necessarily win championships. I don't think that was like the direct. She said that multiple times. It's not the driving of a dig, by the way. Like she's awesome because of this. right. I could never say a bad word about her and all the things Seriously. that she's done for St. Louis and soccer and St. Louis at this point. But that that wasn't the primary goal was to uplift St. Louis to make it to make St. Louis better on the global landscape to bring notoriety, recognition, rise St. Louis, bring back the new spirit of St. Louis. And the fact that we have success in the first season, my hope and my kind of my expectation 
is that it's like you get a taste of it, right? You get a taste of that experience. You get a taste of victory and you see what the crowds are like and you're not going to want to let go of that. And so the opportunity to increase the value by winning, I think is, is the understanding that she's going to want to do that. Like the idea of opening the pocketbooks just a little bit more even comes yeah. with that experience and all of the, the things that occurred in the first season that she's not going to want to let go of and getting a taste of first place in the regular season in your conference, getting bounced in the playoffs, knowing that it can be bigger, it can be better. I think you're just having that drive now. And that's what I keep clinging to as we're not going to spend 15 million on a new DP forward, but we're going to consistently spend more. We're getting these $500,000 transfer fees. We're going to have yeah. upwards of a million, million five. It's going to get more. And she's got that taste of victory that she's not going to want to let go. Absolutely. And the last thing I'll say is that like the hunts, uh, you know, Dallas FC Dallas fans have been so annoyed over the years because they're so cheap. They won't go and spend anything on a, on a major player. They do invest on their academy and that's been something they can brag about. And that's amazing. I think that's a model that other clubs have copied from them, especially. I think they were one of the first to do it. Um, but now they've sold enough players over and over and over that they've not only funded the academy several times over by this point, they're now about to spend more than they've ever spent. And a hunt is excited to do it. So that means they've probably sold enough players that they're ready to spend some of that money again and invested back in the club on a really good player to try to get wins, right? Not just be a developmental club, but to get wins. And that's something like, I would love for us to sell so many players that, that we get there. I think that's what you're getting at, Matt. That's the full circle thing that I talked about with Nico Giochini is that the more players you sell, the more you can convert some of that transfer fee into GAM. And that increases the amount that you're able to spend in this MLS ecosystem here beyond DPs. Like if you're talking about spending up and down the roster, you enable that by transferring players out for the maximum value and being able to convert the max 1.157 amount of GAM. You do that over and over and over and over, like FC Dallas, like Philadelphia Union have done. You're going to build up this stockpile of GAM that doesn't expire that you can just use however you want. And at some point, there's going to be a tipping point in all of this that you can just start spending up and down the roster. I love it. And I think, well, let's call that the 10 or 15 year plan. We won't nail them down to 10 or 15 years, but that would be awesome if we start having such a surplus of, of transfer fees that we need to start spending it on, on players until then I will be uh, rallying uh, Carolyn Kindle to the cause of allowing more depth in our rosters. Use that vote to our advantage because Lutz is too good. The Academy is going to start producing players and we're going to want to use them more than MLS is going to let us. So yep. That's what we want in the near future, and I won't stop talking about it. Um, thanks so much for listening, everybody. This has been a long, fun episode. Clearly, when Matt and I get together, uh, the wind down gets a little bit, a uh, little bit long. We haven't even come close to finishing all of our our, our notes for nope. the day, but um, it's been fun. Thank you for listening. If you made it this far, we'll be talking to you next Thursday night. If you want to join us live in the chat. We'll be on the radio every week for the foreseeable yeah. future until they fire us. So, um, yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. More to come soon. Bye. Enjoy preseason.